0: grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon.
1: and comes from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. As he was sitting by the door to his tent, during the heat of the day, Abraham looked up, and he saw three, men's, three men standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Now let me get a little water so that all of you can wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get some bread so that you can refresh yourselves. After that you may go your way. That is why you have come to your servant. They said, Yes, do as you have said. Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly prepare twenty quarts of fine flour, knead it, and make some loaves of bread. Abraham, Abraham ran to the herd, brought a good tender calf, and gave it to the servant. He hurried to prepare it. He took cheese curds, milk, and the cat that he had prepared and set it before them. He stood beside them under the tree while they ate. They asked him, Where is Sarah, your wife? He said, She is over there in the tent. One of the men said, I will certainly return to you when this season comes around next year. Then Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this from the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well into old age. Sarah was past the age for childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, will I have the pleasure, since my Lord is also old? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really give birth to a child, though I am old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the set set time next year, I will return to you, and Sarah will have a son. The second reading, which is the epistle lesson, comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 29. It reads At one time you were alienated from God and hostile in your thinking, as expressed through your evil deeds. But now Christ reconciled you in his body of flesh through death, in order to present you holy, blameless, and faultless before him. If you continue steadfast and firm in faith, Without being moved away from the hope of the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Now re- I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. I became a minister of the church for your benefit when God gave me the task of fully proclaiming the word of God. Namely, the mystery that was hidden for past ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known to them what is the wealth of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. This mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him as we admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom, so that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. This is the goal I am laboring to reach, striving with his strength, which is powerfully at work. In me. The gospel is taken from Luke chapter 10 verses 38 uh, through verses 42. As they went on their way, Jesus came into a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who was sitting at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her serving. She came over and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered and told her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. In fact, Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her.
0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's word for consideration this morning are the first half of the Epistle lesson from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, beginning at the 21st verse. Paul writes, by inspiration of the Lord, At one time you were alienated from God and hostile in your thinking as expressed through your evil deeds. But now Christ reconciled you and his body of flesh through death in order to present you holy, blameless, and faultless before him, if you continue steadfast and firm in faith, without being moved away from the hope of the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. This is the word of our God. Dear fellow redeemed, sons and daughters of God most high, brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and fellow recipients of the Holy Spirit through baptism, through the word of God, and through the Lord's Supper. It may seem ironic to you that the theme for today's sermon is stand firm in your faith and yet I'm sitting here in front of you. But yet it's an idiom I think that we all can understand whether or not we're standing or sitting. Stand firm in your faith. And as Paul says here, continue steadfast and firm in your faith. To stand firm. Let nothing move you. As Paul says elsewhere in scripture as well. There will be trials. There will be difficulties. There will be times when we might be tempted to waver in our faith. And that word faith can have two meanings. And both of them are to be understood here. One of them is the faith by which we believe the act of clinging firm to God's promises. And we don't do that alone, and we don't do that on our own, do we? We do that by the empowerment and the help of the Holy Spirit, who created that faith in our hearts in the first place. The Holy Spirit who works through baptism The Holy Spirit who works through the word of God. The Holy Spirit who works through the sacrament of the altar. The Holy Spirit who works through these means of grace to create and sustain that life-giving faith in us that clings to the promises of God through which we obtain forgiveness, new life, and salvation. But the word faith also means that which we believe. Earlier today, as Jacob led us, We confess our faith, those tenets of truth, that which we believe in the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and once a year in the Athanasian Creed, the body of doctrine, if you will, of what makes us Christian. What is it that we believe? That God created the universe, as we confess in the first article. That Jesus Christ, his son, saved us. And that the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, and enlightens us through the means of grace. And many other doctrines of faith. And Paul refers to them both in this. And God refers to them both in other sections of scriptures as well. Stand firm in your faith. Now the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Colossians, a Christian church made up primarily of Gentiles, non-Jews, people that weren't part of the promise going back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We heard about Abraham in the Old Testament lesson, didn't we? We heard how the Lord was visited by him and was promised that, yes, even though Abraham and Sarah were old, they were going to have a son, and that son of Isaac who would carry on the promise. And from Isaac would come Jacob, and from Jacob would come the 12 tribes of Jacob, also known as Israel, the Israelites. And if you've studied your Bible history, you'll know. How the land of Israel was populated by the 12 tribes of Israel. And from them, the tribe of Judah carried the promise of the Savior. And from them came King David. And King David's line carried the promise of the Savior all the way down to Mary and Joseph, who traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, who gave birth to a little baby called Jesus on that first Christmas who then died on a cross, bearing our sins. Those are the people of the promise, the Jews, right? Carrying the promise generation after generation after generation. But here in Colossae, a little town in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, those people were mostly Gentiles. We're not people of the promise. So what do they have to do with Jesus? What do they have to do with the message of salvation? Well, the gospel had been preached to them as well. And now Paul was writing to them from prison in Rome and telling them, Remain firm. Stand firm in your faith. And he first reminds them and us Whether we have Jewish blood or Gentile blood in our veins, stand firm in your faith, reminding them who we were. He says, at one time, you were alienated from God and hostile in your thinking as expressed through your evil deeds. Yes, that's right. At one time, we were alienated from God. David says in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. All of us born with that sinful nature, handed down from Adam and Eve, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Eve and Adam were first tempted by Satan and they ate from that forbidden fruit, the world was changed forever. No longer were they close with God but they were alienated from God. Foreigners, remember they were booted out of the Garden of Eden. They could no longer eat from the Tree of Life. Eternal life was no longer to be theirs here on Earth. But if you remember your Bible history, if you remember Genesis 3 comes right on the heels of Genesis 2 and the promise of the Savior is already there. But we do well to remember Where we were, we were alienated from God and hostile in our thinking as expressed through your evil deeds, our evil deeds, myself included. Hostile towards God. As unbelievers, wanting nothing to do with God, As expressed in our evil deeds maybe for many of us that changed early early on in our life when our parents brought us to the font of baptism and the Holy Spirit worked faith in our hearts maybe for us some of us that happened later in life but it's good to remember that without the work of the Holy Spirit whether early in life or later in life or through the wonderful work of baptism and the Holy Spirit or through the word of God and the Holy Spirit working there without the work of the Holy Spirit or the means of grace, this is what we were. Alienated from God, apart from God, apart from his salvation as well. And there's no way we could claw ourselves back There's nothing that Adam and Eve could do to get back into that Garden of Eden. There's nothing that any of us could do to win God's favor back. We were apart from God and continually doing these evil deeds against God's will. But Paul doesn't stop there in verse 21. He says, but now Christ reconciled you. What did he do? He reconciled you. And that verb is very important in the Greek. It's a done deed. Not partway. Not Christ did some of it. Not Christ did most of it. Not Christ got the work done partway and you've got to finish it. Not Christ got the ball rolling and you've got to finish rolling the rest of it uphill. It's a done deal. Christ reconciled you in his body of flesh through death. You see behind me a cross. That cross reminds us of what Christ did. Because there on Good Friday, Christ through his death reconciled us to God. He paid that debt which we could not. For each and every one of us and all of us collectively whether that means all of us here at Salem, but far more, all of us in the world since the time of Adam and Eve until the last sunrise of every human being born. The sins of all were piled upon Christ. And there he took that and he paid the punishment we could not. And he reconciled us with God. Our debt paid off by Christ. And when he cried out, it is finished. That's exactly what that means. The debt is paid one hundred percent, not ten percent, and we got to do the rest, or ninety-nine percent, and we going to come up with the one percent. No, one hundred percent paid in full, reconciled, complete in His Christ body of flesh through death. And what is the result? In order to present you, meaning the Colossians, meaning us, meaning all, to present us holy, blameless, and faultless before Him. No longer are we described as people who are hostile in our thinking as ones who are tainted by evil deeds or ones who are alienated from God, but holy, pure, blameless, He could have simply said to Adam and Eve, that's it, you're done. I gave you this garden. I made you holy. I made you faultless. I made you blameless. I gave you one command. You broke it. I'm done. I don't want to look at you anymore. God had every right. He has every right to say that to us. Are we perfect? Are we holy, blameless, and faultless? We've sinned. We sin every day. Yet how does God see us for Christ's sake? Holy, blameless, and faultless before, you, before Him. And He does this all through the gospel. Literally, the word in Greek means good news, good news message and it is good news. It's a message that gives us a smile. It's a message that lifts us up. It's a message that encourages us to go forward as Paul did. And it's a message that encourages us to stand firm in our faith. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Paul says, Continue steadfast and firm in faith without being moved away from the hope of the gospel. And what is that hope? We use the word hope a lot in our life, don't we? A couple of weeks ago, I think it was just last week actually, my co-workers and I were saying to ourselves, I hope I win the lottery when it was, when it was over one billion dollars. Won't have to see me on Monday if I win the lottery, we joked. Well, we all showed up on Monday because none of us won it. I don't think any of you won it either, not that I've heard. We use that word, I hope to win the lottery, but we know, I mean, it's a long shot, even if we do play. I mean, the odds are, what, a billion to one if it's a billion-dollar jackpot? But that's not the type of hope that Paul is talking about here. That's not the type of hope that Scripture is talking about. The type of hope that is used in Scripture is a sure and certain hope, the hope of eternal life in heaven. Because God does not say, well, you know, I'm up here, and I hope you get here, like I hope you win the lottery. No, 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 no. It's a sure and certain hope, that hope that faith clings to, trusts in, knows for certain. That sure and certain hope, that knowledge, that truth, that unwavering truth, that heaven is ours. Because Christ has reconciled us. It's a done deal. It is finished, Christ says. There's no going back. God's not going to change his mind. And so we can stand firm in our faith, in that faith that clings to those certain promises, and that faith, that body of doctrine that we hold to. And we can hold to it without being moved away from the gospel. Are there other teachings out there that might cause us to swerve away, might tempt us away from the truth of God's word? Sadly there are. We like to take credit for things in this life. That's how this life works, right? We go to a garage sale. We see something for free. Must be no good. I mean, if they're giving it away, what's the catch, right? But if we see something for $5, if we see the same thing with a price they got for $5, well, I'm willing to pay $5 for it because then it's got some worth, right? Can we be tempted sometimes to think about our salvation that way? I've got to do something in order to get my salvation, at least a little something. I've got to start the ball rolling. Or I've got to finish my salvation a bit. That way it means something more to me. We can be tempted by that. There are teachings out there like that. We have to be careful. Because if we start to take the credit, then it diminishes from Christ. and diminishes from the truth of God's word. Remember what Paul says. Christ reconciled you, done deal. It is finished 100%, Christ said on the cross. Let's not take away from Christ's glory and let's not be moved from the hope and the faith we profess. That's what was happening to the Colossians. That's why Paul wrote his epistle to the Colossians. People and even Satan trying to move them from the hope they profess. Because then if we try to take a little bit of the credit, then doubt seeps in. Have I done enough? Did I do it right? And if I haven't done enough, and if I haven't done it right, then is my salvation in jeopardy? See, I'm not reliable. Because I'm a sinful human being. And I've got news for you. You're sinners too. And you're not reliable. You already know that. Don't let your salvation rely on you. Rest your salvation on the word of God. Let your salvation rest and rely on the truth of Christ. He's the one who reconciled you. He's the one who declared it is finished 100%. It's tempting to say a little bit, but I did my part. Don't let Satan lead you down that road. Remember what Paul says. This is the gospel, the good news, the great message that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Remember Paul, at one time, an enemy of the church, wanted to destroy the church, was there at the stoning of Stephen, giving his approval, and then getting letters of authority to go to Damascus and kill Christians. But God had other plans for him, turned him around and said, no, you're going to proclaim the gospel that you wanted to destroy. And Paul, now an apostle, by authority of Christ, writes to the Colossians and also to us. Thankfully, we have this letter. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let nothing move you from this gospel. Not the gospel of Paul. He's just a human. These words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, who reconciled you, done deal. Who said, it is finished, done deal, 100%. Let nothing move you as you stand firm in your faith. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.